The rest of us who are still young at heart, uh, please take your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 25. Now, if you did not receive an outline, please raise your hand and Ephraim will get that outline to you. There is a fill-in-the-blank outline for you today. Uh, That way I know I can keep you awake. All right. Uh, Yesterday we had a um, voter information form here. That's what the patriotic banners are outside. Uh, If you're interested, these were just county offices. We didn't do city or state offices. If you're interested in uh, seeing who was here, they left some of their literature uh, on a table. It's in the high school room. And if you don't go and pick that up after the service, well, then we'll file 13 it, okay? But if you're interested in seeing who was here, then, uh, or even finding out how it was like, there were many of us who were here yesterday, you can talk. But uh, one of them made a comment that, that went better than what they expected because they only saw one person with their eyes closed and one person kind of yawning. And I said, oh, that's even better than Sunday. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, sometimes it is better than Sunday. But that outline should keep you awake. Now, uh, if you haven't been here, um, we are going through a series on the tabernacle. The tabernacle uh, is in the Old Testament. It is a building that God asked the people of Israel to build as a meeting place where he could come from heaven and go into this building in the Ark of the Covenant and there meet with the people of Israel. And there were different rooms in this building, and there were different pieces of furniture in this building. So we've been going through uh, the book of Exodus. We've been talking about the different pieces of furniture. We've talked about the purpose of the building being a meeting place where we as human beings can have fellowship with God. We look then at how the New Testament looked back upon that building, and what it says was that building in the Old Testament was actually projecting forward, and it was anticipating better things. In the Old Testament, the things that we're learning about were like shadows. They weren't the real thing. It was just a shadow. So a shadow implies Substance. There's something of reality behind it. So each one of these pieces of furniture is just a shadow of a greater substance. And we know that Jesus is typified in many of these pieces of furniture, and so also is the fellowship of the believer with Jesus. So I'm going to show you some pictures. Now the series is this. It's entitled The Tabernacle That I May Dwell With Them. The word dwell means to live with. And you know there are some people that struggle with the reality that God actually wants to be with people. We call them atheists or agnostics. And so God specifically addresses the fact that yes he desires to meet with people then even those who believe God struggle with the reality that God wants to have fellowship with them, that God wants you and he to spend time together. And so we get all distracted and we live every day just in the rat race of life. And we forget 
to pause and to spend time in God's presence. God wants to dwell with you, wants to live with you. So this is what it may have looked like from the outside. There was a, an outer uh, court of curtains around it to separate the building from the people because it was a holy place. All right? It was a place of worship. And then you entered into that tabernacle by degrees or stages. If you weren't a priest, then you didn't go much further than the outer gate. Only the priest could go in. And so then do you see the, the, the building behind the altar that's on fire there? That's the tabernacle building proper. And that building has two rooms. Into the first room, the regular priests could go. Into the second room, which is called the holiest of all or the holy place, that room was only entered one time a year and by one man, the high priest. So here's a, a, a diagram of what that building would look like if you were to take off the curtains and the roof and look into it. Uh, you would see uh, the altar that was on fire. You saw that. That's the brazen altar. Then the priests would wash themselves after they uh, performed their sacrifices. Then they would go into the tabernacle building proper. And we've talked about the Ark of the Covenant in the holiest place. We've talked about the altar of incense, and we've talked about the candlestick. Today, we're going to talk about the table of showbread. It was a table that showed bread, right? but there's more significance to it. What was that all about? And so that's what the message is going to be about today, and how this table, it typifies Christ and us as believers. So there's, there's two parts to this, that this table of showbread foreshadows. So it projected forward. And so then we can look back on it and gain some understanding and appreciation about what this table of showbread means. So you might not be able to see all of that in great detail, but that's why I gave you the outline so that you can follow along. And it has all of the different points uh, listed out there, and I'll make sure that I emphasize the fill-in-the-blank parts. All right, how many of you have a coffee table at home? How many of you have a bistro table? All right. How many of you have a big table for having company over? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. All right. Um, how many of you have like a game table? All right, I see that. So tables many times are designed to bring us together. We sit around tables and we have dinner and fellowship. Now, that might be something that's kind of dying in our culture, right? Um, we, we did that in our family uh, every day. We would gather our family around a table, and we had dinner every night. Uh, we'd touch bases and, uh, you know, turn the cell phones off and put them upside down, and you can look at that later. Now we're looking at one another in the eye. We're talking to one another. Um, but then we also love board games. And so we've got, you know, the games from when they were little. Uh, well, actually, maybe we don't have Candyland anymore. But um, we had Sari and Monopoly and, you know, now it's Settlers of Catan and, and different things like that. And we love sitting around a table and playing games. Um, and so 
tables bring us together. Uh, some of you have a coffee table, and so maybe you will brew a, a pot of coffee or maybe just a little K-cup, you know, and put it in your friend's mug, and you sit there, and you have fellowship together. Well, that's what tables do. They, they bring us together. And so this table is designed for fellowship, to bring God and people together. So let's go to Exodus chapter 25. Um, we're going to read verses 23 through 30. And uh, then, if you don't mind, we're just going to keep on looking at a, a couple of other places that will help explain uh, the table in even more detail. All right, so Exodus is the second book of the Bible, the 25th chapter, beginning in verse 23. Thou shalt also make a what? A table of acacia wood. Uh, two cubits shall be its length thereof. Now, a cubit is, in our measurements, about 18 inches. So, two cubits would be how long? About 36 inches. Okay. And um, a cubit, uh, the width or the breadth of it, so it's going to be about 18 inches wide. So, 36 by 18. So, it's a rectangular shaped table. Uh, let's see, where did I leave off? Okay. And uh, a cubit and a half, the height thereof. So, um, what, 24, 30 inches tall, something like that. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make thereunto a crown of gold around it. So this acacia wood was then overlaid with gold and a crown was put around the edge of the table. All right, let's keep reading. And you shall make unto it a border, a handbreadth roundabout, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. So a crown within a crown, but about the thickness of a hand apart from one another, right? Maybe four to six inches. Depends on how big your hands are. Uh, when I was a kid, there was a, a, a farmer in the church, and I dreaded shaking hands with him on Sunday. Uh, his name was Sam Olson. He was a huge Swede. And um, his hands... I mean, he would just stick it out, and you'd put your hand next to his, and you could feel your bones crushing, right? And so he'd kind of just go like that real quick, and everybody would go to the hospital later, you know? But uh, no joke, the guy, he, I, I witnessed him do it. He could take a full-size apple between his fingers and cut it in half. I mean, he had power in those hands. And uh, so his hand wasn't four inches wide. I mean, it, it was like a mega hand. It was like a bear paw, all right? And so, yeah. The average man's hand width apart. All right, let's keep on reading. Uh, verse 26, And thou shalt make for it uh, rings of gold, and shall put the rings around the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. And so on the legs of the table, they made these circular rings, and the rings were of gold, and they were going to slide the poles through so that it could be carried. Over against uh, the border shall the rings be for places for the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold, and the table may be borne with them, or carried by them. Verse 29, And you shall make uh, the dishes thereof, and the spoons thereof, and the covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover withal of pure gold shall you make them. And you shall set upon them upon the table of showbread, before me always. Now that's an important phrase, right? 
So this table was always to be in the presence of God. And so we're, we'll talk about the significance of the spoons and the bowls and, and all of the instruments that go along with that in just a moment. Now let's go over to um, Leviticus, please. Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 24. Now we'll read what was put on the table. Beginning in verse 5, chapter 24. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths deal shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon what? The table. What's the next phrase? Before the Lord. All right, let's keep reading. And you shall put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be upon the bread for memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath day he shall set it in order before the Lord. What's the next word? Continually. Being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place. For it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire for a perpetual statute. So they made 12 loaves of bread, and they put them in two rows of six. And then they sprinkled the bread with frankincense, which is a white um, if you will, uh, spice or seasoning, not really a seasoning. And um, it was to be before the Lord. And then once a week on the Sabbath day, the priest would come in uh, with new loaves of bread and they would change it out. And what the priests were able to do was then they were able to take the 12 loaves and they were able to eat it inside the tabernacle. So there's more than one priest in here at this time. And so this was their portion or their right, you might say part of their wages, uh, for being priests. They could eat this special bread. And so it was something that priests could do. They could be in the presence of God inside the tabernacle, eating in front of His presence the bread. Now, in a few minutes, hopefully the Holy Spirit will help you as the light bulb will and you'll say, oh, I get it. All right? So hang on. There's a practical side to this. So what was put on the table? Bread. And it was show bread, but the bread was not really to show to society, was it? The bread was just really seen by the priests and seen by one important person, God. Now, uh, why 12 loaves? Anybody know? For the 12 tribes of Israel, all right? And uh, we haven't talked about the high priest yet, but the high priest wore a special garment, and he had a breastplate, and he had 12 stones uh, that was next to his heart. And so the people of God were near to his heart. Well, here, the people of God are symbolized in the loaves, in other words, God hasn't forgotten the people. 
they're represented by their priests. Now, if you'll take your Bibles for just a moment, put a ribbon here, put your bulletin here, and let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. All right, in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, we have a couple of verses that I want us to look at. Let's look at verse 5. But you also, as lively stones, are being up a spiritual house and holy what? Priesthood. So this is New Testament. This is Peter talking to Christians in general. Peter is a general letter. Okay? And so we're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. Now go down to verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a what? Royal priesthood. And a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So what is the ethnic group that we called God's chosen people in the Old Testament? The Israelites, the Jews. All right? And they had a special set of people who did their religious services. What was that class of people? What are they called? Priests. All right? So now we in the New Testament, the New Testament church, we're God's chosen people. And all of us are priests. So what we're going to find out about the bread then is the bread belongs to all of us because we're all priests. We're all God's people by faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so let's keep on moving here as, as we go through this. And I probably should stick to my outline to help you out. All right, so our first point up here is this. Our fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, is typified in that the table is a place of fellowship. So you can see the word place in capital letters, and it's in white. All right? It's a place of fellowship. Now, if you'll go back with me to Exodus chapter 25. And we'll pick it up in verse 23 again. Thou shalt... What's the third word? Also. So, also means in addition. So this is a second meeting place. It's a meeting place within the meeting place. This is where the priests would have fellowship with God. And we're going to find out how interconnected this table is with the altar of incense, the candlestick, the bronze altar outside, and, and how it's all connected. But this is the meeting place. This is the, the one place that all of the priests can stand around together and meet one another, but they also meet God. So this is also a meeting place. So that's the meaning of that word. Now, it is called showbread. Literally in the Hebrew, it is bread of faces. Would you say that with me? Bread of faces. 
So you might imagine, uh, if you have an imagination, uh, each little loaf of bread uh, having a smiley little face shining up before God, right? as the children of Israel were represented in each loaf. But it wasn't necessarily their faces is that so much as that they were in the presence of the face of God. All right? So the bread of faces, the priests and the people in the very presence or the face of God. Um, do you remember the blessing that God uh, gave to Aaron to put upon the people? May the Lord make his what to shine upon you? His face. Um, one of the things that they did not want to have happen in the Old Testament was for God to turn his face away from them. Now, how many of you have ever told your children when they were younger, look at me, okay? Because you want that presence, you want that eye contact, you want that, yeah, we're on the same page here, okay? You got it, you understand it. And so face-to-face interaction means that there's agreement. There's relationship, there, there's fellowship. So the bread of faces, God has not turned his back on us. That means God has not rejected us. So we find our acceptance here. This is not bread for salvation. This is bread of relationship. This is the bread of fellowship where we get to spend time in God's presence. And so, letter A, the language of the table also showed it to be a place of fellowship. The language of the table, the word also, the the word showbread. So that would be your first little sub-point there. The meaning is the next one, uh, your next blank. The meaning of the table shows it to be a place of fellowship. And so what was the table of showbread to the children of Israel? Well, it was a place of fellowship, and it is a place of fellowship even to us. All right, so let's go through some Old Testament passages, and let's look at this. Let's go to 2 Samuel. So you're going to have to go a little bit further into the Old Testament. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And here we find out that... um, there's going to be this bread of presence. Second Samuel chapter 9, let's look at verse 10. Uh, did I say Second Samuel? Because I'm in First Samuel, and I was like, that verse does not look right. Okay, so give me just a second, because I didn't even pay attention to what I was saying. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, look with me at verse 6. Now, when Meshibbetheth, all right, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Meshibbetheth? Wow, David's got a good tongue, okay? And he answered, Behold thy servant. Now let's go down to verse 10. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring uh, into him the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Meshibbetheth, thy mother's son, shall eat bread always, where? 
at my table. Now, uh, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. All right, so let me just make this really quick. Um, King Saul lost his kingship uh, because of just disobedience to the Lord and just hardened his heart against God and God's spirit. He had a son. That son was Jonathan. King David and Saul's son, Jonathan, were best of buds. All right? Uh, They were BFF, best friends forever. And when Jonathan died, David lamented. And he asked around. He said, are there any descendants of Jonathan that are still alive? I would like to show honor to my friend Jonathan by taking care of his descendants. Well, there was this one child, um, Meshibaseth, that I can't even say it right. All right. And um, he's lame. And Jonathan uh, had this son, and David finds him, and David wants to honor that friendship that he had with Jonathan, his father. And so he says to Jonathan's son, I want you to live in the palace. I want you to come to my table every day. I want you in my presence. Having you will remind me of your dad. And I want you to know that I'm honoring that covenant that I made with your father, uh, that I would love his descendants. We would love one another's families. And so here, Jonathan's son has the benefit of the presence of the king has the fellowship of the king. That's what a table is about. Now, let's go over to Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. As we uh, memorize that this year, some of you might uh, remember this, but verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So in the shepherd's psalm, David is saying to God, God, I'm just like one of your little sheep, and you take care of me. There may be enemies all around, but in your presence, there's a table of safety. There is a place of substance. There is a place where I can be fed. And so David was using this symbolically, saying, God, you take care of me. And even though my life may be filled with adversity and there might be adversaries all around me, God, you're going to feed me spiritually. You're going to take care of me. You're going to keep me safe. And so, once again, there's the substance of that relationship with God. Now, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 21. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. 
You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. All right. So, could a, a little lamb be out eating with the wolves? No. All right. It needed the protection of the shepherd. Um, one of the believers, his name was John. Uh, he was exhorting his children, and he put it this way to them. He said, you can't have um, one foot on the world's path and one foot on God's path. All right? You're, you're divided. All right? You've you got to have that feet on that straight and narrow path. And so you, you can't be eating from the things of the world and trying to fill your soul with well, spiritual things that don't satisfy. You can't be doing that at the same time that you're supposed to be in fellowship with God. So the Lord's table is not that way. Now, let's go over to Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, uh, we find out that we're going to partake of the Lord's table in the future. Luke chapter 22, we read this in verse 30. That ye may eat and drink at what? My table when in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So we will be included in the kingdom of Jesus. We'll be invited to sit around the king's table. We'll be in fellowship with him. We'll be in his presence. And we're going to find out that there's more to it than just the table as this message goes on. So what was on the table? Well, it was bread. And they came and they partook of that bread, but that bread then has more to it than that. But let's look here at the third point under our first, our, our third subpoint under our first point. This is the position, the position of the table shows it to be a place of fellowship. So if you go back to Exodus 25 and verse 30, Exodus 25 verse 30, you'll see that it is always before the Lord. In Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 9, we read this phrase, uh, before me continually. So, yes, it did have a physical position with inside the tabernacle. It was on the north wall, opposite of the candlestick on the south wall. That's not the position we're talking about. The position that we're talking about was that it was always in the presence of God. This was a place of, of fellowship, a place of meeting. And so even when the table was moving, they were still in the presence of God because it had the rings on it, remember, and the poles that slid through the rings. So they were always in the presence of God. Are we always in the presence of the Lord? Okay. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, in the Great Commission, lo, I am with you always. We're always in the presence of the Lord. Now, 
the fact that the bread was always before God shows the the acceptableness of this, right? Remember, was this for the average Israelite to walk into the tabernacle and eat this bread? No. There was one time in Jewish history where a common Israelite was able to have the priestly bread. Do you remember who that was? It was David, right? And that's the only exception that ever took place. Otherwise, this bread was reserved for just the priests. And it, it showed that, that it was continually renewed and continually in the presence of God shows that it was accepted. Do you know where you find your acceptance and why you have an eternal relationship with God? Because of Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Colossians 3.3 And you died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. You have acceptance with God all of the time because of Christ. When you believe on Christ as your Savior, He comes into your life. He takes up residence. He indwells you. He's always with you. So you're always accepted. So this is for the believer priest. This is why we believe in the security of the believer. That when we repent and put our faith in Jesus, we're secure. Because Christ has made us acceptable and we're always in the presence of the Lord. Now, let's begin to transition here at this point and let's look at the significance of the bread. So, It was bread that was always continually made before the presence of the Lord. Let's go over to the Gospel of John chapter 6. Now in John chapter 6, there's the story of the feeding of 5,000. There's this little boy who has five loaves of bread and he has two little fish. And the people have been... Uh, following Jesus. They're super excited about this man because he's healing people. And uh, this large crowd begins to to come. Now, 5,000 men is just like saying 5,000 households. It could be much larger than that if you counted the women and the children. And so Jesus tests the disciples about their understanding of who he is. And he says to them, hey, guys, it's about time to eat. Um, where are we going to get enough bread for all of these people? And so they were kind of curious. Then he says, well, even if we had this money, and when it, well, there's not time to, to buy all of that and to run into town and, you know, and get all that kind of bread. And so one of the disciples finds this little boy who his mom obviously was thinking ahead. She said, you know, Jesus is that long-winded preacher. I better send you with a lunch. All right. And... Uh, So she sends him with the five loaves and the two fishes, and Jesus then takes those, and he multiplies them. And there's so much left over that there's leftovers. I was telling the junior high students this week, how many of you eat leftovers? They all raised their hand begrudgingly. Um, I won't say it, but one, one little boy said, I love leftovers. It's better the second time around, you know? It's like, right on. All right. So... But this is where leftovers came from, because there was so much abundance. 
And so then the next day, Jesus has um, sent his disciples. They're on the other side of the lake. And um, you remember Jesus walks on the water during that night. And the crowds look for him the next morning. He's not there. So they walk around the lake. They're really interested in finding this guy. And Jesus says, you didn't come to find me to submit to my authority to believe in me. You came because you filled your bellies with food. He said, I did that miracle because there's something greater than just the miracle. So Jesus begins to explain this to them. Let's look at verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Uh, let's keep reading. Let's uh, just look at verse 33, 35, and 38. So verse 33. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. That is so important for us to remember. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Verse 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Verse 41. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, uh, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith they came down from heaven? So Jesus is saying he's the bread of life. Verse 42. Um, Jesus therefore answered and said among them, Murmur not among yourselves. So Jesus said, I am that bread of life. Look at verse 48. I am that bread of life. All right, so Jesus was essentially telling this. You're following me because I'm doing miracles. I heal your family members and I fill your bellies with food. That's why you're following me. You're trying to find satisfaction in the temporal things of life. Well, what I'm trying to tell you is believe in me. I am the bread of life that will satisfy you for life. Right? Um, do you remember a few years ago there was a candy bar uh, that was advertised on TV? It satisfies Snickers, right? Um, then there was, uh, years and years ago, there was a cigarette company that, that, you know, had some kind of a slogan like that. And I always got to thinking to myself, then why do you need more than one Snickers bar? Why do you need more than one cigarette if it really satisfies? Okay? Why do you need to go to any other source than the spouse that God has given to you if you're satisfied? Why do you need to have sin in your life if you're really satisfied with God. You don't need to go to all those other places. You don't need that temporal satisfaction in your life. You need to trust Christ to be that source of satisfaction for you. So we try to stuff our heart full of things to make us happy, to satisfy us, the material things. And Jesus warned us about that. He says, your life doesn't consist of the abundance of things that a man has. 
contrary to the bumper sticker that we see in society. He who has the most toys wins, all right? That's not how life works, all right? So Christ is saying, I am that bread of life. Believe in me. And I am that bread which comes down from heaven. So, the night in which Jesus uh, was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciple and he said, take eat all of it. For this bread is my body which is broken for you. Now, let's keep on moving. So Christ is the bread of life. Christ is that accepted beloved son and we can then have fellowship and substance through Christ as we fellowship with him. Now, Revelation 3.20. You know that verse? Behold, I stand at the door and knock and if any man hear my voice and does what open the door I will come in and fellowship with him or sup with him eat with him and he with me I will spiritually feed that person who listens to me saying Christian let me in your life Spend time with me in the word. I'll feed you. Open up. Okay? He doesn't kick the door down. He knocks. He's asking. Christian, it's time to awaken. It's time to let the word of God be in your life. Read it. Listen to it. Memorize it. Feed upon the word of God. Now, Christ can become your bread of life. That verse is always used in Revelation 3.20 in context of winning somebody to the Lord. It's the wrong context. It's written to Christians in a church that were self-satisfied. They were complacent. They didn't think they really had needs. You know, it's kind of hard in our materialistic society to convince somebody that they need God when they've got two uh, automobiles and they've got seven large screen TVs, they've got a jet ski, they have a huge backyard with all of this outdoor living quarters and grill out there, and uh, you know they've got this six-figure bank account, and they've got all of these material possessions, and they're like, and I really need God? Well, that's because they've deceived themselves. And they've stuffed themselves full of things that it's just like eating potato chips and that's all your diet ever is, all right? And so they're not really going to find satisfaction in that. And so Christ can become your bread of life, Christian. Christ will identify with you. And so we will have today at the end of our message a time of communion Com, prefix, with, union with Christ. It's not a meal per se, because you're not going to get enough calories out of this, all right? It's your spirit that is being fed as you focus, focus upon what Christ did for you. And that based upon what he did for you, you have fellowship 
with him. So the table, um, just also as the mercy seat, became the basis of fellowship. And so the bread is that substance of our fellowship. Christ is that substance. So let's move on to our second point. And our fellowship was with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, is typified on the bread of the table. It is the substance of fellowship. And so this became known as the table of bread. You could never separate the two. If there was bread, there was the table. If there was a table, there was bread. And so it's the table of showbread. And so its contents uh, gave the table its name. It's known in Numbers 4.9 as the table of bread. All right, so let's look here at our second point. The contents of the table then show it to be the substance now, this was the contents, was the substance of the priestly fellowship only. And so we are priests. This is for us. The contents are also the substance of our fellowship with Christ. Now, remember there was something that we read earlier about the spoons and the bowls and all of that that was supposed to be on the table? Do you know where, what was placed or sprinkled upon the top of the showbread? Do you remember? Frankincense. What was offered on the altar of incense? Frankincense. Um, do you know what was taken from the table of showbread? Well, that was taken from the table of showbread to the altar of incense. Uh, do you know that what was offered outside at the bronze altar? The drink offerings, they came in to the tabernacle, into the presence of the table, and were poured out before the Lord. And you know what the New Testament says about Jesus when he died? It says he poured out his soul unto death. These are all interconnected. Our fellowship with God is based upon our relationship with God. But this is our fellowship and so all of these things, these instruments that were on the table, they all belong together. So let's go over uh, to Numbers chapter 28 for just a moment. Numbers chapter 28. So fourth book in the Old Testament. Verse 7, and the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of a hen, and uh, for the one lamb in the holy place shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured out unto the Lord for a drink offering. So they brought that from the bronze altar into the tabernacle building right at the presence of the table, and that's where it was poured out acceptable before the Lord. Um, now, I know this is not a custom that Christians do, and this is maybe more of a Mediterranean custom, but when someone brings, uh, buys a new home, there are, were two hospitality gifts that were brought to them. It was bread and wine. All right. Uh, what were you trying to say to your new neighbor? Let's have fellowship. 
And so when we look at the bread and the cup, what is God saying? Let's have fellowship. Let's spend time together. Let's have spiritual intimacy with one another. You can pour your life out before me as I poured my life out for you. Do you cry to the Lord? Do you express your fears? Do you cry out your hurts? Your needs? Do you really believe that he's listening to you? And so identify with Christ as that bread of life. Partake of him. He is that bread of life. And so the contents of the table show us that that is the substance of fellowship. So these are wonderful truths. So I have a question for you, Christian. Are you in fellowship with the bread of life? Now, it's not just Sunday morning, and it's not just a time of communion. But are you with him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty here. I'm trying to let you know, if you're not, you're missing a blessing. Okay? Think about how advantageous spiritually life is for you over previous generations. The printed page has not been around but for maybe 500 years. Copies of the Bible were hard to come by. And now, almost every single one of you have it in your hand today. You have it in your phones today. You can get access to spiritual food at any second. But do we make ourselves available to be in the presence of the Lord? So Christian, he's knocking. Open the door. I'll come in and fellowship. I'll I'll sup with you and you with me. It'll be that exchange, that fellowship that takes place. So are you in fellowship, Christian, with the bread of life? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come to know him. The gospel is portrayed here that Jesus gave his body to be broken because of our sins, and he shed his blood to forgive us of our sins. And so today, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, it's very simple. Just acknowledge to God, you're a sinner, and you can't save yourself. Believe that Jesus is the answer. He paid for your sin debt. Can't work for it. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's according to his mercy that he saved us. With the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then if you believe that, well then you'll call on him. And so with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so I can lead you in a prayer and invite you to pray it with us uh, to God and then close the prayer, and you can ask Jesus to be your Savior. Let's go ahead and close this time. And so, Christian, will you respond?